Well, good morning once again. I'm trying to get all wired up here because uh, a little bit different trying to figure out where to put the lapel mic here. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke this morning. Book of Luke. We're sharing quite a different message with you. And uh, I noticed the clock on the back back there got messed up apparently in time change and there's no clock there. And I said, I feel right at home. In the, in the Philippines, they had a... Uh, a thing they wanted you to preach just as long as you could. So they were happy. Uh, one time, I think it was about two hours, and they said, oh, we take a 10-minute break, and we'll do another two hours. And I said, okay. <laughs> uh, by the end of Thursday night, I think we'd taught or preached seven times, and we'd been there on Wednesday. So <laughs> it was uh, quite, um, quite amazing, and, and like I said, we'll share more about that with you tonight. But it's exciting to see all of you here, and I'm glad for what you do around the world in Worldwide Missions. <laughs> I want to preach to you a message this morning that has probably the most graphic title that I hope will not offend you, but perhaps it needs to. I want you to think about this, this topic. Who in hell cares? Now think about that. And no, I'm not swearing in the pulpit. I'm using a very real biblical term and asking you a very valid question. Who cares? You see, I believe from the Word of God we can determine that there are a number of people, if we were able to travel into the depths of hell, which indeed we can, looking through the pen of the Bible, there would be some people in hell that care. In fact, if we were able to look at it, I believe we would find that there are people in hell that care more than we do. And I want to take you there this morning with your imagination, Luke chapter 12, 16, and we'll actually only just spend just a brief time in this passage. Luke chapter 16 and verse 23 The Word of God, and remind, let me remind you that this is Jesus talking. And this was not a parable. It was rather a biography of two gentlemen. It says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, many of you have heard the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But I just wanted to paint that picture so you kind of understand that just a moment. Fifty-four times in fifty-four different verses throughout the Word of God, the word hell is used. And before we went to the Philippines, actually some time ago, I talked with a number of people about this and said, I've really been praying about preaching a message on who... In hell cares. The word Sheol is another word that is used, the, the translation for hell in the Bible. Also in another passage in James, you would find that Gehenna. Gehenna was a trash heap outside the Jerusalem or outside the city, was where people would burn their trash. Uh, and James, actually, he uses uh, the tongue is set on fire of hell. He's using a more of a, uh, an alliteration so the people would understand their mouth was a potty mouth, so to speak. Trash dump. 
That's one of the few times it's usually used as Gehenna. The rest of the times it's used as Sheol, meaning the underground, underground world, a grave, hell, a pit. In all designations, it is translated as a place of no return. The Old Testament designation for the abode of the dead that were without Christ, without praise of God, wicked are sent there for punishment, righteous are not there. It is a place of exile, a place of extreme degradation of sin. I want you to see, first of all, the reality of hell. Just as much as heaven, with all of its glories, is a real place, so is hell. The reality of hell. You know, isn't it nice to find out some things you've always thought about were real? When we were in the Philippines, I, I saw the South China Sea. We stayed about 40 feet from it, I think, or yards or whatever it is, meters, whatever they measure it in. I tell you, I, they may speak English, but I was still mixed up. Everything was in meters, liters, and, um, and Tagali and English and, and all that. And my cell phone would not, I didn't even take it. My wife's cell phone, the time wouldn't work because we weren't in tower range, of course. And uh, we were about 12,000 miles from home, about as far away as we can get, I think. But I stood there and I looked at this and I saw pictures, I saw mountains and oceans and rice paddies, things I'd only seen in pictures. But it was real. It was right in front of me. And just imagine heaven with all its glories. As Brother Billy preached a few weeks ago on uh, during, right after Judgment House, how real it is, how beautiful it is. And yet over on this other extreme is hell with all of its miseries and torments. With a real fire that burns forever. And there is a reality of hell that I believe has escaped us as church-going people. You know, as I begin to think about the reality of it, I realize that in America we have two extremes. We have on one hand the extreme of saying, oh, there's no such thing, and if there is, I'll party, party, party in hell. Or on the other extreme, being overcome with a view of the sadistic wanting to be there all the time. Both are wrong. But who in hell cares? If we were able to make that trip and come back to tell about it, who would care? Well, first of all, not only the reality of hell, but I want you to see this morning the residents of hell. Who are the residents of hell? You know, I realized as we were over in the Philippines, the residents were very different. I, you, you realize that, you know, I knew Brother Tom. I've seen his picture. I knew him by photo. I talked with him on the phone. I emailed with him. We stepped out in the airport, Manila, and they say there's 15 million people, and I think all of them were at the airport. (laughs) 
We jumped off the plane and we're walking across the thing. I don't know what it's called. We got out to the next place. They don't allow the, the people inside the airport. They have to wait on the outside and they have an alphabetized section, A through B, you know, and C, D and all that going along. And you're supposed to walk to that section and there's just hundreds, if not thousands of people there all waving and yelling to the people that get off the plane out of the airport. We've got our luggage and we're looking. And, and Brother John said, well, do you know what he would look like? And I said, I did, but not when there's 15 million of him. <laughs> All of a sudden, I said, he's got a whole lot better chance of finding us than we have of him. Because <laughs> they were the residents there. And he was waiting in the B's and the F's for, for Feliciano, or B's for Boone, my last name. And we were going to the F's for Feliciano, his last name. So we were all mixed up. But they found us. But you know what I realized? The churches in the Philippines have understand, are a better understanding of the reality of hell. Because they care. Every church we preached in. And I think if I remember right, we preached or taught at least, at least just myself 13 times in seven days. Our team taught over 20-something times, but everywhere we went, it was full. They believed that there is a real heaven and a real hell. And they were worried about their Filipino friends to get them there. Most, all the churches there was usually, except for I believe Sunday morning, there was somebody looking in on the porch thing or looking in at the window somewhere to see, to hear. They see the reality, the residents. Who is the society of the residents? Who are they? Well, one day, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. We often joke about our children being angels. And I said, yes, but there are good angels and bad angels, you understand. <laughs> the word angel simply means messenger. And we understand that some of these angels followed Satan when God said, no, you won't be like me. And he kicked him out of heaven. And so we understand that there are apparently some angels that are already into hell. There are some of them that are reserved unto judgment, which means they are not in hell today, but they are alive and around in this world. But it's just as good as if they will be one day because they are reserved unto judgment. They have a front row seat. <laughs> and the society of these residents, there's worms that live in hell. That's another one of the residents of hell. Torments. If you've ever had a burn of any sort, there's not a lot of relief, is there? And years ago, they used to tell me before the modern day of giving people drugs and all when they're dying, people would be screaming that we're not saved. It's hot, it's hot. As they slipped off into eternity. Even recently, I was talking with a, a lady whose mother was a nurse before the days of all those drugs, and they said it was awful when people would die because they would just be screaming and yelling. 
And yet I've been beside those who were saved and held their hand as they slipped into eternity. And it was peaceful. So it's real. You know, thousands and thousands of people can't all be wrong. Even if you deny what the Bible teaches, you can't deny the reality and the residence. The rich man was there and he begged, don't let them come here. We weren't able to get it rigged up in time, but we're working on getting the Judgment House DVD and all of you that went through that. I can just still picture in my mind as Brother Calvin comes running at that fence and he's screaming, grabbing the fence, shaking it, saying, please don't let them come here. Please don't let them come here. Tell them this place is real. By the way, I met somebody the other day and they said, uh, said who was that guy that played the devil in hell? And we said, well... Uh, I said, we didn't think you had anybody that creepy in your church. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Charles. <laughs> and I said, well, don't worry about it. That's our pastor's son. So <laughs> He really doesn't look like that all the time. And I explained he's been growing his hair out for locks of love and, and all of that. And I said, he's really a very, very uh, compassionate man. He really is. I know him. He's... He's got a real heart for souls. He said he was just playing the part and did a real good job. They didn't see us the first practice when he and I were just about in tears trying to get those lines out because they were so hard to say. Because, and as we were practicing for that line, I believe it was Jeffrey that played in that part. He, as we were reading the lines, he said, I don't remember the exact words, but he said, this is hopeless. These people. The sorrow... Of the residents. The sorrow of the residents of hell. There is never another chance. Can you just imagine that kind of pain forever? I, I love to move. I love to get moving and run and I, I just be outside and I tell you what, I, I don't know um, how close it comes to it, but it seemed to me like the airliners trying to put you in hell on earth just getting you there, you know? <laughs> well, they set us on that plane and it was uh, four, four hours, no, three hours to, I don't know, an hour and a half to Chicago. That was fine. Then we got on the eight-hour flight. The first one was the only one that was a real problem. The rest of them were long. The first one, we weren't with our group. We had to sit right in the middle of the other people, because it was an absolutely full flight. And eight hours sitting beside somebody you don't know, this and they were both larger than I was. <laughs> and I, when I sat down, I was last to sit down, and they'd already got the armrest. You know how it is on a plane. If you've ever done much business travel, it's like a fight to see who can get their arm on the armrest first, you know? <laughs> I lost. <laughs> both sides. And after a while, I was squirming. I eight hours. Man, that's, that's a day's work, you know? And I'm sitting there, and we got off the plane. I thought, and we were landing in Honolulu. And I thought, wow, only time in my life ever to visit Hawaii? What a wonderful thing. We got off the plane, and the first thing we heard was, hurry, 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 your plane's about to leave. Run. So we ran through Honolulu. <laughs> When we left uh, Chicago, the engine housing was cracked on the one plane. They had to fix that, so it made us late. We got to uh, Honolulu. They ran us, and we got on the plane real fast. And then they said, up oh, the fuel pump's messed up on this plane, so we got to work on it. So we sat there in the plane again. <laughs> so they're trying to torture me. 
So we took pictures out the window. We got to Guam because of all those planes being so far late. They said, hurry, 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 run through. The bypass inspections, just jump on the plane, you know. Uh, Melania had gotten sick on the down drop on, on uh, one of those. And she's, she's trying to use that little bag. And they're saying, hurry, hurry, hurry. And she's going, I can't, you know. And I thought, man, this is torture. But it was okay. It was well worth it. Well worth it. And we got on, I was glad the plane flight was broke up with some exercise in the middle. I said, I don't think I could have handled the first one that was 16 hours or something. And we got into there and then we got into Guam and Manila and all that stuff. But I thought, can you imagine? They tell me that in hell, according to what we can determine from the word of God, there is no bottom. Now, as we were flying along and I was thinking about this message the whole time, I thought we hit a cow. In the air. I mean, I looked at Brother John and said, what did we hit? I said, it felt like we hit a cow. I mean, it felt like we hit something. Becky was, and Becky's traveled quite a bit internationally, and she thought we had landed. <laughs> and we were 37,000 feet in the air, and we hit a tropical storm over the, one of the oceans over there somewhere. And uh, between Guam and Manila, and we hit that. Poor lady was in the restroom, came running out. She thought for sure she died. <laughs> But, I mean, it was bad enough of a drop that it was about 15, maybe 20 feet. And all the drinks spilled and, you know, flew everywhere and, and all that. And we hit that thing and it dropped. And my stomach, I hate roller coasters. <laughs> I hate that feeling. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. And, and I just do not like. Some of you crazy people, now you go to an amusement park and you love a roller coaster. For me, it's a waste of money. I can walk around and look at all the pretty stuff and wave and take pictures. I'm the camera guy. I don't like them. And I remember one time my daughter, was, was she wanted to ride one of those boat things that dropped. And I thought, well, I'll take her up there. And when she gets to it, she'll chicken out. So we got all the way up there. That kid rode that thing <laughs> and drug me on it. But now I want you to imagine... Now, you got that feeling in your stomach of that straight drop. Imagine the sorrow of the residents of hell. It's a bottomless pit. And you are dropping for all eternity. There won't be any partying, screaming. If anybody does touch you, it's going to hurt because it's a burn. And you're going to lash out at them to stop. So we did our judgment house and we took people through the hell scene. As you got into the hell, it was, we had the heaters and all where it was hot and it was, it was compressing. And that's exactly what we can determine from the word of God that it is. It's restrictive. Who there cares? You see, the rich man, he begged, please, please, don't let him come here. Not only that, the ruler of hell. The ruler of hell cares. And now I suppose if I were to ask everyone, you might be confused about that. I remember hearing of a man who was dying and his... Uh, 
His pastor was trying to get him to understand. And he said, look, denounce the devil, denounce all evil, you know, get saved. And he was talking to him and finally said, man, why won't you denounce the devil? And he finally said in a quiet voice, he said, before I know where I'm going, I don't want to aggravate anybody. (laughs) But I want you to think about it. Who really is the ruler of hell? Now, in our play in Judgment House, we show the devil throwing people around all this, and that helps us get the frame of mind for it. But it's probably very theologically incorrect. The devil doesn't rule hell. The devil don't have a fireproof suit, and I tell you, you don't either. There are some of you sitting under the sound of my voice that think it's a joke. And inside your head, you're hoping I'll shut up. And God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your heart. Whether it be by means of internet or radio or right here. Some of you, when you begin to talk about heaven and hell, you can't sit still and you start to fidget. Because the Lord begins to deal with you. And friend, the ruler of hell is God. And He loves you. He doesn't want you to go there. He gave His only Son, as John 3.16 says, so that all could come. Whosoever believeth in Him, that means you. And do you realize that God created that miserable place called hell? Many feel that Jesus went down into hell. And from what we can tell of Scripture, He broke down into the paradise and pulled out Abraham and pulled out during that. But it very certainly tells us that Jesus came out with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So if Jesus has the key to the hell, I believe He owns it. He's not borrowing those keys. And as hard as that is for us to understand, you see, no one will ever go to hell unloved. They have a choice. The ruler of hell. You see, every person There's a clock that's counting. And I don't know how much time you got left. I believe more than ever, after seeing our Filipino brothers and sisters, I'm touched by worldwide mission. Every dollar we invest is worth it. I've seen it with my own eyes. And it's so amazing what we take for granted here. You know, having, having many shoes and clothes and enough food to eat. Having a roof and a wall and a window. And yet Jesus, I don't believe, sees them that way. The ruler of hell. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and I'll give you a chance to find that, Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. 
Acts chapter 2, you say, well, is that biblical? Well, yes, it is. Acts chapter 2. So we were walking through the airport the other day. I was thinking about this. I believe it was on the way and we were in Chicago. It's the only time we had a chance to walk. Everywhere else we ran. <laughs> and uh, as we were walking through that one Chicago layover we had, we, I, I was walking along the moving sidewalk and I just I stopped for a moment. I was just kind of walking around. I knew it was going to be a long flight, so I was wanting to stretch as much as possible. And I looked at Brother John and I said, John... I was watching all the people. Some were running to catch planes. Some were moseying. Some were talking on the phone. Most were talking on the phone (laughs) or texting. And and I looked at that and I said, Brother John, how do you think God sees these people? I see them as tall or short or, you know, uh, Filipino or uh, African-American or Chinese or whatever they might be. I said, I wonder if God instead, and I think it might be kind of true, sees them as heaven or hell. He doesn't see the color of the skin. He doesn't see whether you're male or female. He's seeing, that's one I gave my life for, the ruler of hell. In fact, it says that he hath made all things for himself. If I go to hell, heaven, thou art there. If I go to heaven, or hell, thou art there. Where can I go that I can flee the presence of the Lord? The book of Psalms tells us. But Acts chapter 2 and verse, and verse number 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now looking on to verse number 31 of Acts chapter 2, the same chapter. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh did see corruption. So I don't think you can argue that Christ did indeed go down into there and bust that open and took the keys. That's what he says. And so he's the ruler of it, and as hard as that is to understand, you've got to understand that because God is love and He is just and fair, He will honor the choice of all those who make the wrong choice. Not only who in hell cares, but I want you to think about the residents of hell, the reality of hell, the residents of hell, the ruler of hell, the redeemed from hell. The redeemed from hell. That's us. That's those that have trusted Christ as Savior. I would love to say that's everybody under the sound of my voice, but it's not true. Statistics tell me that that would be almost impossible. You see, what is the chance... Every person is given a chance. Many, many chances. The Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. But can I tell you there there is only one chance. It's now. 
Once you pass into the portals of death, you will not, on the authority of God's word, get a second chance. You're getting your second chance right now. You say, well, I've got plenty of time. I just met with one of our church members in the hospital, and I don't know if he never knew I was there. Well, Danny Johnson, he's laid in the hospital up here on a respirator with just about, it seemed like every bone in his body broke. Got in a wreck right out here on Highway 50, less than eight miles from here. He didn't know that. Brother Ron shared with me he was able to lead him to Christ some years ago. How could he have known? And you need to pray for the Johnson family and all they're going through with that. That could be you. What's to keep it from being you? The grace of God? There is no purgatory. There's no chance to, to buy them out. There's no chance to go somehow get a second chance. As we did our play, and I, this is actually just before that's where I begin to think about this topic as we walked through so many times with Judgment House. In our Judgment House, we tried to make sure it was, everything was, had Bible verses in it and all but one scene had, was full of Bible verses. And as I began to think about that as we were doing that play, Drama to help people realize the reality of heaven and hell. In this room right over here, there was a judgment scene, which every name was called. <laughs> one, of, one, of our, uh, one of our volleyball team, of my wife's volleyball teams came through, and unfortunately they didn't get her name. And she said, I was beginning to get worried. <laughs> the judge don't have my name. <laughs> but what about when you get there? And he opens that book of life. And I can remember uh, Bob and uh, Brother Earl both played uh, the lawyer in hell. And they begin to kneel down and say, give me an appeal, give me a second chance. And I think it's so graphically illustrated as those angels and the judge just held up their hands. Even if they wanted to, they can't. As Abraham is looking there, or, or Lazarus, he's saying, send Abraham that he might give me just a little bit of water. He said, I can't. There's a gulf there. I can't. Whatever you're going to do, you've got to do it now. One life, that's it. The choice. You know, as we watch... In the Philippines, and I, the first village that we visited, we kind of threw Wendy out under the bus there. We couldn't teach. <laughs> they had asked if Wendy would teach uh, some when we got into there. And we got there, and uh, we all began to stand there. We went to this village, and there's this lady that's 76 years old. Miss Serene was her name. She could barely walk. She's living in a little hut, no doors, no windows, on a, on a piece of borrowed property from her relatives. Her husband was out in the rice field. He makes $4 a day. Got remember, gasoline was almost $4.5 a gallon. He's, he's there. They're trying to just barely exist, and yet they're, they're happy. They're saved. They know where they're going when they die. 
This is the only hell she's ever going to have to live in. And as I watched those kids as they came, we went to the next village. Uh, it was called a child care center. Believe me, the uh, local agencies here would have a real problem with it. <laughs> I'm not even sure they had running water. Dirt floors. Said to be a few kids there, at least 50, I think, was there. They sat down and listened. Brother John and I handed out candy and toothpaste and toothbrushes to them. And I don't think either one of us could have taught a lick if they'd have asked us. They, we looked at Wendy and said, here, you got the flashcard story. You can do it. <laughs> we couldn't talk. I was speechless. I mean, watching these little babies, these little children, with nothing. And they just tore our hearts out as we watched them. And I was thankful that there were churches in America that care to send them stuff to help them. They were, they were thanking us for all the things that were given to us. A local dentist here sent toothbrush and toothpaste. And somebody else sent Beanie Babies and toys and cars. And I said, well, we didn't do all this. We just helped collect it and bring it. We're just the messengers. Said all these people back home, they care. The redeemed from hell should care. You have a choice. You see, because Psalms chapter 9, let me read it quickly. Psalms chapter 9, verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. And I thought, you know, yes, even in hell, there are people that care about those little kids that are saying, don't let them come here. Don't let them. It's real. As, as I think about that and as I see that, I sometimes, and, and Benson Grove is probably the most unique church of its size that I've seen. Because many churches today that are, are small churches, they love the Lord, and they got 30 people in them on a Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, if you don't want to be in church when the doors are open, and you say you love God, I want to say that I think you're lying. Because you haven't grasped the reality of what hell is. And what heaven is. You say, well, I've heard all that before. Well, go get somebody and bring them with you. It hasn't. You see, they have seen it in hell and they know. Eternity, has been said, is real simple. Smoking or not. And that's true. Revelation, and I'll turn there with you and we'll be done. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. And we'll quickly jump through a few verses in Revelation in closing. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Now, if you look over to chapter 6 and verse number 8, 
This is what's coming. You have a choice, remember. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given over them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Then in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13... People today will tell you, you can ask people, well, what do you think about heaven? I hope so. So, you know, you can know so. And they say, well, I would like to, um, I would like to hope that my good works will outweigh my bad works. Okay, fine. God's going to give you that chance. You see, God is a fair God, and, and he, he won't have anybody go in there saying, but I never had a chance to see if my good works outweighed my bad works. He, he's going to give you that chance. You say, what are you talking about? Well, read it. Uh, chapter 20, verse number 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. There's your chance. The problem is everybody that's here is not going to pass. Because the following says in verse 15 and verse 14 and conjunctioning that together, you see. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. That'll be it. So let me change the question this morning. Who on earth cares? Do you care? Number one, are you here and you have been convicted more than once and you keep putting it off? The Bible says my spirit will not always strive with man. There's going to come a time he's going to say, that's enough. I've given you and you and you and you chance after chance and you rejected it. Forget it. That's your last chance. So I don't believe that. You don't have to. Nobody's twisting your arm. But that spirit that's inside of you pounding in your chest is not going to go away until he says it is and then it's gone and it's too late. And say, so are you mad? No, I love you folks. So I'm sharing that with you. We have a seeing what we saw just created a more strong desire over there to just win every person we can. You see, it, I want to illustrate it like this, and, and I want you to understand. You say, "Well, I'm saved. Great. Who's going with you?" In the pastor's conference over there, I told the guys, I told the preacher boys, I said, love your family. I said, because they're the ones you can take to heaven with you. I said, when it all boils down, the stuff that you have here, the, the housing you have, the housing we have, it won't go with us. I said, only the people you can win. My wife and I were talking, I said, I'm so grateful because this year has been, I think, the most... Uh, as far as fruitful year of our ministry, being able to see people saved, and I don't understand it. I'm just thankful. I just pray God continues it. Because that's the only people that we can take to heaven with us. Who's that person that you've been trying to win to Christ? We have invitation time in a minute. You need to come just beg God to save them. 
I want to get, uh, let me get somebody to help me illustrate something here for a moment. Can I get uh, a couple of, come on, Kylie, let's see, how about another? We'll have another young person. Boy, they're all jumping up from way in the back. Come on, Nathan, we'll let him, he's closest. <laughs> now, Nathan, would, would you mind holding this dartboard here? <laughs> it's a magnetic dart. Come here, Kylie. Now, on this dartboard, it has a 100, a 20, a 40, a 60, an 80 percent chance. Now, suppose I were to tell Kylie, you can throw the dart, but if you don't hit it 100 percent, we're going to let Nathan come over and, and step on your toes. <laughs> Would you throw it? Says, no, why not? Because <laughs> you forgot to wear shoes. That's why. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not going to have her do that because the magnet doesn't always stick. <laughs> Thank you. Give them a hand. They did good. They never know what I'm going to do. So that's kind of silly. No, this is your life right here. And there's your chances. You got one throw. I only got one dart because you only have one throw. It's 20, 40, 60, 80, and anything outside the 100 won't work. 